This is ATP Tennis Radio. Will this be the point? Will this be the moment? Dimitrov serves the second step really short. The backhand thought about approaching. Goffin, but he runs back, scampers the forehand, sits up nicely for the backhand, flick into the middle of the court. Forehand cross court from Goffin, slap cross court from Dimitrov. Cross court from Goffin, who retreats and keeps on the forehand and goes off forehand. The stretch from the volley is into the net from David Goffin. And on his front, on his flat, flat on the front goes Gregor Dimitrov. David Goffin climbs over the net and he walks towards a motionless an emotional and now crying Gregor Dimitrov. The players embrace on the same side of the court. So much affection between the two. What a final played out here. Two hours and 30 minutes on the clock and it's Gregor Dimitrov, hands on his head. He cannot believe what he has done, but he has done it. The biggest win, the biggest title of Gregor Dimitrov's career. He has won the NITO ATP Finals 2017. He started the year at 17, he finishes at number three, and he finishes the season as a winner. He jumps over the hoardings, he jumps into his box. What a tournament, Lars McLaggen, unbeaten from first moment to last. So, ATP Finals champion for 2017, Grigor Dimitrov, three sets, three nerve-shredding, nail-biting sets against David Goffin of Belgium. From start to finish, Grigor Dimitrov is unbeaten in the Tour Finals, booking his place, securing his place, beating all before him. He wins the biggest title of his career. What a way to round off 2017. Who would have thought he would be holding this particular title aloft at the start of the year? But he does, and he has, and he is the champion in London for 2017. Alongside myself, Shishi Salmon, Miles McLagan. Miles, in front of us, they're starting the job of trying to sweep up the confetti. It's like a really rowdy wedding, isn't it? When there's confetti everywhere, there's some poor woman with the job of trying to sweep it up. The celebrations will continue long in tonight for Grigor Dimitrov, who is still walking around the court. He's still thanking the fans. I think he wants to shake the hand of every single Bulgarian fan that turned out today. But what a title and what a win for the 26-year-old. Oh, it's absolutely massive. And of course, it's been building, hasn't it? Interesting, uh, Danny Valdez's coach talked about trying the targets they had for the year to be top 10, to have to, to win four titles. This was the fourth. Obviously, way exceeded the, the ranking, but uh, it's good to see. It's, it's been a, an incredible event. We've, we've had so many matches that have really gone down to the wire, so many that you wouldn't really be sure who was going to win until uh, actually shaking hands and, and I think even today was was uh, in that vein but Grigor Dimitrov is a definitely a worthy champion he's played some excellent tennis really entertained us and uh, yes we hope that uh, this this title will boost them going forwards. Brisbane, Sofia, Cincinnati and now London for Grigor Dimitrov 17 in the world to number three in the world I, I imagine it's one of those instances he's so tired he's played a lot of tennis it's now time to hopefully for him just hit the beach and relax but I guess at the same time when you've got that momentum and you won this title you wouldn't mind if the, the season was continuing for a little bit yes it's double-edged isn't it because you'd, you'd like to go on next week and, and keep riding this wave and and, and for him and, and Danny the, the time will be to sort of 
to, to manage that and make sure that he does come back fresh because they're tempting. He must, their motivation must be, be chomping at the bit to get out there and, <laughs> and, uh, and get going. But to, to make sure he, he starts the year uh, charged, he's got a lot of, a lot of points to defend. Uh, yeah. you, you mentioned that win in Brisbane, the semi-final in Australia. Um, but I think to, to look forward and, and, and not try and defend those points, but try and do even better. Try and, you know, obviously the next step without without a doubt is going to be snagging a slam that will be discussed in the Dimitrov camp and uh, and you know we've seen the sort of tennis that, um, th that that I think can do that and a word or two or maybe even more about David Goffin and Gregor Dimitrov in his speech said some wonderful things about Goffin he said look forget about the tennis he's pretty good at that but he is a a really nice guy and he definitely David Goffin earned himself a few more fans here in London this week no, no question about it, and, and he's a great guy, very low-key, uh, works in, incredibly hard, and of course there was an extra bit of sympathy because he, he came back from a horrendous injury at the French Open this year, very, very unlucky to, to turn his ankle, but still made it here, and uh, I, I, I think the it sounds a little silly, he's in the top eight, but more and more we're realizing what a great player this guy is, and uh, you know his... Uh, you know, his season, it will, he'll be delighted with, with the way it finishes. The Davis Cup to come, it can get even better. He can really boost himself. And, uh, you know, he's a player. There, there is a lot of players out there in a draw who, who, can, who can wreck a draw right now. And he could beat anybody put in front of him. As he did this week, he beat the world number one and two. Absolutely. He said the win against Federer was the best win of his career against the guy who he had a poster of on his bedroom wall when he was young. And, and the thing for David Goffer, look, he doesn't really have a lot of time to, to think about this final because it's a Davis Cup final. No one wants to stand there with the runners-up plate when someone's giving a victory speech. But it's for David Goffer and Thierry Van Klimput to take the positives. He rises to seven in the world. And for... David Goffin to start 2018 with the bank and bang and take the positivity from this back end of the season. No question about it. I mean, there's the initial disappointment, but you know he's uh, he's you know, well balanced enough to know that it's 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 been a great tournament uh, to, to take the confidence from it and also to you know he's going on for another week and and it's going to be an incredibly emotional week. Davis Cup will be draining, so so maybe looking at his. The, the rest may be more important for the off season. We talk so much about, you know, where the training and all that. But, you know, he's a. He, there are things I think he can work on in his game. But coming out fresh, uh, ready to play, eager to play, and eager to, to improve the ranking next year, I, I think will be their priority. And Miles, it's only right we cannot talk about this final without mentioning hardworking producer <laughs> Russell because we did our predictions at the start of it, and he was the only man that went all in on the Bulgarian. And it's down in writing. Only man or woman, we should say. And uh, yeah, he's uh, unfortunately let himself down with the doubles. But uh, and I don't think there was a prize, was there? <laughs> was this just there was there was a, it's a pat in the back and a mention on the radio. Paris I mean, what Mas more do you want? There's the Paris Masters. There was there was a cake, but I'm not sure. We might be able to round something up from the commentary box. I think that I'm sure, sure we can. We're going to present him with an honorary chocolate to say well done hard-working producer Russell he might not be the ATP the NITO ATP finals champion 2017 but he did pick the winner and stay with us because we have plenty more coming your way they are the golden nine a prestigious collection of ATP World Tour Masters 1000 tournaments hosted in the world's most spectacular venues and cities Contested by only the world's very best, this is their exclusive playground. 
coming at you from Indian Wells. Let's get it started. From Miami to Monte Carlo. Bang. Thank you, Monte Carlo. Get ready, Madrid. Game, set, match, Madrid. New balls, please, for Rome. Grazie, Roma. See you in Canada. On to you, Cincinnati. Hi from Cincinnati. Get ready for Shanghai. From Shanghai to Paris. From Paris to London. Championship point. Confident serves out to the mellow forehand. Pierce is there! They've done it! Back-to-back titles in London. What an achievement for Henry Continent and John Pierce. They didn't start the tournament strongly, but they have finished it as the outstanding pair. And only the fourth pair to defend their title at the end of season finale. Pierce clenches the fist and they applaud the crowd at the 0-2. A sensational display, and Continent and Piers are the champions again. Thank you very much to Richard and Naomi for seeing Henry Continent and John Piers through to the defence, the successful defence of their Tour Finals title. Now, once again, been allowed out of the commentary box to just sample a little bit of the atmosphere. Joining me courtside, Miles McLaggen and Barry Cowan. And Barry, we must start with what we've just heard, the final of the doubles. Did it go as you expected or not? Top seeds against the second, defending champions against world number one. What, from my prediction, Gigi, yes. I did what no commentator should ever do and change my prediction from the beginning of the week. Because I had Kubot and Mello to win. And then today I, I predicted uh, Continent and Piers to win. What made you change? I did predict them to win in three, so I was wrong on that. <laughs> no, the reason I changed is because I saw them play yesterday and having looked doubtful, not confident at the beginning of the week, they just ripped through Jamie and Bruno yesterday with power. And I felt coming into this match, I looked at their head-to-head, -head, which was they've won three, lost one, albeit arguably the most important one was a Wimbledon semi-final. They've won nine of their 10 titles, finals, excuse me, that they've played. So when they get hot, they're so difficult to stop. And Continent, he just sees the ball and absolutely gives it all a mighty hit. And Piers then seems to respond to that. I think Piers is not necessarily the leader of the two, but if his, if his partner plays great, he follows. And they were, they were amazing today. They were near perfect. And they, they basically hit the best pair off the court right from the word go. Because it is miles when it comes to doubles, it's about chemistry. They don't have to live in each other's pockets off the court, but you've got to work together. You have to complement each other on the court, and that does seem to be... I mean, they seem to be very laid-back characters, but it seems to be what Continent and Piers do when they're on court. It is, uh, but, and I think they complement each other in terms of on-court, but also you know, the off-court personalities, as you said, John. You know, John Piers is a very quiet, low-key Aussie, and Continent seems to have a, a little bit more of a strut to him, so when he's, you know, as Baz has been saying, when, when he's feeling good, uh, you know, John Piers can can, can express himself, but they have been incredibly impressive. I mean, they, they've played the tennis uh, yesterday and today, just taking the rackets out of the, the best players in the world's hands and uh, uh, the, the serving that they've just let it roll. And, and you know, that, that's it. The doubles is on such fine margins. So if you're confident to make that calm decision in the big moments, uh, it's such an advantage. And, and you know, as you know, Barry's just talked about, the, the records they have in the final being so dominant that, uh, uh, you know, that's. 
it just shows when they get on a roll, they're very hard to stop. The last doubles pairing to defend, successfully defend their doubles title in the Tour Finals with the Bryan brothers. It's not something that's easy to do. I know with doubles pairing split up and new ones come together, but it's shown how, well, at the moment they could split up tomorrow, but how solid this pairing are. Yeah, we've gone through a period in doubles, haven't we, where no team has really dominated. And, and I kind of, that's what feels we're going to have again next year. Um, well, all four majors titles this year, four different winners. And it, it's all about on the day, it's all about on the week. And that's why predicting who's going to win the doubles is a nightmare. Might just be a nightmare in singles as well, hasn't it, this week? Yeah, if we start going through predict, I don't want to talk about predictions. I had Cuba Amelo. I, I, when it came to the doubles, I think it looked, as you were saying, it looked so close. You looked through all the pairings. I could make an argument for most of the pairings that were here. So in the end, I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for the top seeds. And I was so, so close. But in terms of predictions, you look down our list. I think nearly every pairing apart from Venus and Harrison were chosen. And that shows you that the how talented those players are at the top of the rankings and in terms of the titles, as you mentioned, how things are now being shared around. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether peers and continent and the way they play, this is what's going to be the doubles game in the next five to ten years, which is going to be pure power. I mean, they've taken a level up in terms of what the Bryans used to do, what Woodbridge and Woodford used to do before, which was, they were amazing, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're talking about two of the greatest doubles pairs there have ever been, and at no stage would I ever put peers and continent in that league. But it is about just massive serving, massive returning, and trying to take time away from the opponents. And with tennis players getting bigger and stronger and more athletic and more powerful, maybe that's what's going to happen in the doubles, doubles game. Because who would have thought six foot eight Mello, who intimidated Harrison and Venus yesterday with his net play, today he was the one who was intimidated. Well, we look at the singles court, you were out in Milan for the next-gen finals, we were working on it, and we were talking about the size of these guys coming through. They, we're talking six foot six, and maybe, I mean, Riley Opelka, who has yet to make that move, he's, what, six, six, eleven, he's nearly seven foot or so, I mean, he's huge. But these guys are big. It's about the players getting bigger and stronger, and then, as Barry says, having that massive power game. Yeah, and I mean, we're learning that athletes can, can be tall and move. You go back in the game 20 years ago, and the tall, the tall guys had a big serve, maybe a big forearm, but they couldn't move at all. And, and now, you know, we're finding someone like uh, Ivan Dodig in the doubles, six foot, David Goffin, 5'11". I mean, they're small in, in, in this... Uh, in the tennis environment. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm 5'11", and I find when I'm on the tour, whenever you go in the gym, you, I always have to put the seat down. I hate it. Everybody's <laughs> legs are long. Maybe i just got short legs in. But it's just, it's tall. And that includes the woman as well. So uh, it's, you know, everybody out there is tall, and they, they're stronger, and they're, and they're training sports specific early on. And, and, and the, you know, there was a time in all sports, you know, the doubles players were maybe, you know, the singles players at the end of their career who, you know, were, were out of shape a little bit. These guys are strong. They're fast. Uh, they're explosive. And, you know, for, for peers and continent, it's not just the big serving returning. I mean, the, the, at the net, they're, they're so sharp. They're in the right position all the time. You know, they're doing a lot of things right. I have to say that both Barry and myself are taller than Miles. I know it's radio, so I didn't need to say that. But you are a good height. You're a David Goffer height at 5'11". I've got it. That's why Miles has broken his phone. Well, it's because we're taller than him. He just can't handle it. 
Have you broken when your phone? When did this much? happen? Hang on a second, right? So we've got phones being broken. I don't think it's a thing to do with height. I'm not <laughs> sure it is, although he's giving us a look now. We are courtside at the O2 Arena for the NITO ATP Finals. It all comes down to today. We have had the doubles finals. So congratulations again to Henry Constant and John Pierce. They have successfully defended their title. They were the second seed. They've got the title. What a way to go in to 2018 for Pierce and Continent. Now, while I have Miles McLaggen and Barry Cowan with me, I need to be looking back on this week and the highlights for you for this week. There might be more than one, Barry. There might be a standout one, but highlight or highlights and why from the NITO ATP finals? You've asked a really tough question and you, you haven't given us any pre-warning, have you? She's, she's like that a lot. She, she does that a lot. She puts you, you on the spot and then spends the rest of the week picking you apart. Yeah. Do you know what the first... I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll go. I'm ready. Sorry. No, no, I'm not sure we're going to let Miles have his say now. <laughs> Thank you, Miles, for joining us this week on the radio. And we might see you in 2018. <laughs> might. Uh, um, I enjoyed the Goffin and Nadal match. I mean, oh, I, he's just I, taken mine. I, I, you know, coming from a different point of view, I, I think Nadal wasn't 100%. But how many matches do you play like that? And, and there could be, um, you know, you, you could put an asterisk next to just about any win, any tournament title that any player's ever won. You know, barring the occasional one like Nadal at, at French Open this year, where he was unstoppable. Federer was unstoppable. But other than that, and I think. You know, the, the way he played, he made Nadal feel uncomfortable in, in, in his game-wise. He rushed him, and uh, and Goffin, I'm a, I've seen him play some spectacular tennis, and, uh, you know, it's coming more and more regularly. And, um, you know, he can really worry the top guys, and he's a player that, that you know, so can Goffin win a Grand Slam? And your first reaction is, well, no, I don't see him winning Grand Slam. And then you think, well, why not? He, he can be everybody. And he's, you know, he's, he's fit and he's fast and in an effective game. Um, so, yeah, my, I, I really enjoyed that match, Goffin uh, Nadal. But we, we, we may be surpassed today. He's taken mine. Yeah, I think, I think we're a double here. I agree with that. And, and Goffin, he's good when you watch him on TV. I think sometimes people may think, what does he actually really do? But when you're close up, you realize what a phenomenal tennis player he is and what he does so well. Moves like a champion. He takes the ball very early, and that, and that was crucial when he played Rafa. But the reason for me that that was the standout match is because that was everything that we've seen from Rafa in the last decade. From what is a great champion who basically knew midway through that match that he that was going to be his only match here this week and most people probably including myself would lose or lost about five or ten percent of the energy you would sort of seeped out of you thought oh, yeah, I'm, I want to fight but this is my last match but he no one would have no one knew what was going through his mind and he fought and even in those difficult moments he put everything on the line and at the end of the match said my opponent was too good I've had a great year, and I think for me that's probably been one of the standout moments for the week because it's what's really encapsulated the whole year for Rafa, where he's come back from difficult moments to, to, to have had the year that he's had, two slams, and also, you know, we shouldn't forget Roger because he's had an amazing year also. You spread your highlights out there a little bit, didn't you? You started no, on Goffin, you veered into Spain, and you ended in Switzerland. But I still went with Goffin Rafa, didn't I? You did. What about you? I, I would agree with you. 
on that one. It was no, it was <laughs> look, it was it was incredible. What nearly two and a half hours? Because it didn't matter that Nadal is suffering as he is; he's not going to give it to you. And Goffa got it on the fifth match point, and he had to fight. And I think when he's in full flight, he's exquisite. And Goffa, I think he's a sensational player. I don't think he'll ever grab the the big headlines, but I just think he's stunning. What he does, he, he's compact. He's he's got the weapons, and why not win a Grand Slam? I think a few things would have to go in his favour to win a Grand Slam, and I think he's going to blast everybody off the court. But that's, but that's what we don't know next year. And when we, as Miles said, we have, we have moved out of the era of almost saying, well, at least three out of the big four are going to be in the semifinals, maybe all four. Next year with, with Murray, and even in the best case scenario, Andy and Novak are fit, their rankings have dropped. So they could, they could be playing the likes of Nadal or Federer in what would be the last 16, wouldn't it? Cannot wait for 2018. Barry Cowan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your highlights. Thank you for your stories. And I'm sure you, like us, have had a very good week. Yeah, loved it. Thank you very much to Barry Cowan. And talking about our highlights, a unanimous decision that it was David Goffin against Rafa Nadal. So I think we stay with the player from Belgium. One of many highlights for us on ATP Tennis Radio was hearing from the great and good of the sport, including Carlos Moya. Now, Rafa Nadal's coach and a legend in his own right spoke to Seb Lozier and they talked about the Goffin victory over his boyhood hero, Roger Federer. To be honest, I didn't expect uh, Goffin to beat Federer since it's the first time that that happens. And uh, a lot of credit to, to Goffin uh, beating Royer in such a big event, uh, last, two, last tournament of the year, uh, great effort. Uh, so, you know, he deserved it. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's been able to play some good tennis since the first day. Uh, he had only one bad day against, against Dimitrov, but he's been playing very consistent and, and he's very dangerous. Yeah, he's beaten Rafa, now he's beaten Roger. I mean, mentally, psychologically, do you think it'll be a different David Goffin now? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, it always uh, it was not easy for him to beat these top guys and he beat two of them in, in five days. So, so yeah, that can, can be a turning point in, in his career, why not? What do you make of London and this tournament at the O2? Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Uh, the, the setup is uh, unbelievable. It's a great event, a great crowd. Uh, the O2 is fantastic, and having a, a full crowd every single session is something that doesn't happen very often during the year. So, so yeah, it's a great event, and London is the best city to have it. I wanted to ask you about your own memories of, of playing in these finals. Uh, that's why we're you, you're rubbing shoulders today with lots of the your contemporaries mm. from back then. I think your your first finals in in '97. Um, yeah. And you were following hot on the footsteps, really, of a number of Spanish players, uh, Bruguera, Berasategui, uh, who, who'd already been there. How much of, of a thrill, how important was it for you in your career when you, when you got to the finals? It was the goal at the, at the beginning of the season to reach the, the year-end finals. So, so, yeah, I was able to do it five times in three different countries. And, and yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, for me, I had to fight for every every time. I, I didn't I didn't take it for granted since I was not uh, like these guys that uh, when it's June they already qualified. So I had to fight till the last tournament to get in here, uh, and it was a great experience. Your very first match, you play against Pete Sampras. You beat him. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That was the the only time I, I ever beat him, uh, and and yeah, and he ended up winning the tournament. So. Uh, yeah, my first match was against him. He beat me that year in Australia in the finals, and 
Yeah, it was something that I will never forget. And the next year, you, you beat him again. I mean, was there something about Pete's game that you could unpick? No, I think I didn't beat him the next year. Correcha beat him in the in the semi-finals, and then I lost to, in the final to to Alex. Uh, so yeah, the only time I beat him was in in '97. Uh, it was a it was a great uh, great event to to do so, and yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, what what were your memories of of that final? Well, uh, <laughs> it's uh, not the best mem not not the best memories I could have. Uh, I had a good chance to win it, and I was leading to sets to love, and then he came back. And I was break up in the fifth, but with him, I mean, you have to fight till the end, and, and he's such a warrior, and and he he turned things around, and and he ended up winning. It was disappointing in that moment, but now looking back, uh, I think I was I mean, it was a great tournament for me. And you'd beaten him in the French Open final, of course, ju just that year. And he, I was talking to him earlier in the year in Madrid. And, you know, for him, that is a career highlight, obviously. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, for me, it was uh, Roland Garros. And beating him, then he had a rematch here. And, and he was able to, to win that year. I remember when we played in uh, the year-end's finals, uh, I beat him three times in a row that year, in straight sets, all of them. And, uh, and here, I was two sets to love up. So, so it was a good chance to, to win the year-end finals, uh, honestly. But uh, again, uh, with him, you, you have to fight till the last point and, because he's not going to give you anything. Just finally, bef before I let you go, I just want to ask you about Rafa and, and how you reflect on, on this year. I mean, when you started out the year with Rafa, in your wildest dreams, did you think that uh, you'd be you know, talking about two Grand Slam titles and world number one? Well, I knew that he was going to be back at his best level. Then once there... Uh, you have to see what, what he's able to to do, and I could not say that he was gonna do, gonna win two two slams or become number one, but I was sure that we were gonna have the best version of Rafael Nadal again. So, so yeah, I'm happy about that. And he's been injury-free for most part of the year. That uh, that also helped, and and yeah, now looking forward to next season. Yeah, he's having a rest, and uh, he's confident. He seemed confident when he talked to the press here that he knows now how to make the knee better. Yeah, uh, hopefully he will tell me <laughs> because I didn't get to talk to him too much after the after the match. I I wanted to leave him for a while. It's been a long season together, and and it's good now that he uh, he rests a little bit and he relaxes with his friends. And and in a couple of weeks we will be we will be back to work. Carlos Moya, the coach of Rafa Nadal, in conversation with Seb Lozier. And we've been really lucky this week at the O2 Arena to be joined by some of the, the greats of the game and to get their insight into the game as it is at the moment and also their memories of their playing days. And earlier in the week, Miles Milhagen and myself were joined by former semi-finalist here, Tim Herman, working for BBC Television. And I had to ask him if he would have predicted this eight to be here at the start of the year. I would have definitely said that Federer and Nadal are going to split the four Grand Slams. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's mad. We were talking about it on the BBC the other day, and, and uh, it's almost a complete role reversal from 12 months ago because you had Murray on a tear looking for the number one spot and um, took down Djokovic to, to win here. Federer and Nadal were out injured. And, yep. and um, you know, at that moment, to have said what's gone on in 2017, <laughs> I think a lot of people would have said you need your, your head checked. Um, so it has been a phenomenal year um, to watch. Uh, incredible performances by Federer and Nadal, but obviously disappointing with the, uh, the number of injuries that we've had at the top of the game. You're a former semi-finalist at Tour Finals. How special is it for a player to reach this stage and to be part 
of the top eight. It is. It's amazing. I mean, uh, when you're playing on on the main tour in the in the biggest events, whether they're Masters 1000s or or the Grand Slams, there are a couple of ways that you can get in. You you uh, uh, you can get a wild card, or you could go through qualifying. But uh, you know, to get into this event, and there's only eight spots, you have it's all down to your performance in the kind of the 11 months prior to the event. So uh, I was lucky enough to play in, uh, in in three, twice in Hanover and once in in Houston. So yeah, it's, it's a great event to be uh, a part of. And I think, uh, you know, all the players, uh, when they had their goals at the beginning of the year, this is this is certainly going to be one of them. We do have our alternate miles in, not yourself. No, I, just, <laughs> I haven't brought my records. <laughs> in Pablo Corona Booster, who Naomi Cavaday picked before the tournament started to go on and actually win the tournament, not just to make it into the tournament, because it wasn't Miles, a surprise that Nadal is not completing this tournament. I mean, if he was in that much pain in Paris that he couldn't go through three more matches with the pain a week, I know he said it wasn't anything new and he couldn't do any more damage, but the amount of pain he was in, it was going to be very difficult for him to be playing against the best players who are fit and healthy in the world at the moment to come through the matches here. It would, it would have appeared so, yes, and yeah, pulling out in Paris, it, it didn't look good, and it's, it's a recurring injury, so I, I think that the good news, and, and he did say, he kind of knows what, what the problem is, knows how to go about um, trying to get it better. I think he said it's, it's never been, it hasn't been perfect for a long time. It's a pain he's, he's learned to have dealt with. But, um, yeah, I mean, this, you know, Tim can obviously talk about this more, but I said this the other day, talking to Ivan Lendl, he said some of his proudest moments were winning this event because there's no easing into it. There's no easy rounds. It's straight <laughs> in. Best eight guys in the world, you know, at the, at the the beer of the bang and the gun as they say it just it, it's off and you've got to be playing some great tennis I thought this the other day when Jack Sock walked out against Roger Federer for the first singles match and the look on Jack Sock's face as he walked out and the music and the lights and it's basically 90% full of Roger Federer fans and Swiss flags and he must have been thinking wow I am actually and because he didn't know he was going to be here until a few days ago it's a, it was a great story and, and uh, <laughs> I think he was ranked 24 when he was yeah. playing in Paris at the Masters 1000 and, and uh, you know qualifying for this event was not on his radar and certainly when he was 5-1 down in the third against Carl Edmund in his first <laughs> match. I expect he was thinking more about uh, you know, where he was going to go on his holiday and, and perhaps the golf that he was potentially going to play at Augusta National. Um, so a great story for him, but I think in, in terms of the way the schedule worked out, mm -hmm. I think playing Federer first match was ideal. I think if they played 10 times out here, I think Federer wins 10 times. Mm -hmm. But for him to have that opportunity of getting used to the surroundings and the whole occasion... And then to see him play as well as he did against Cilic was uh, was impressive. To me, you, you mentioned mental fatigue, and I wonder, from a former top player, it's not always easy for for us to understand. I mean, I think Andy maybe suffered a little bit from his pressure last year, and then you know Federer might say, well, he hasn't played that many events. But what, what is the sort of what is that mental fatigue, and, and how, what does it feel like, and how do you recover from it? And the biggest challenge uh, when you're playing at the highest level and and in these types of tournaments is dealing with adversity. So when Federer is playing great tennis and he's hitting his spots on his serve and he's whacking his backhand down the line, there isn't a lot of adversity to deal with. <laughs> but when he starts missing some shots that he's accustomed to making, that's when frustration sets in. And after 10 and a half months of traveling the world, obviously he doesn't play so many tournaments, but when you're making the semis and finals and winning them every week, he's playing a lot of tennis. And, and so I think this is the one time of year when that... Uh, sort of wear and tear mentally does catch up with him and, and uh, I thought he was a little inconsistent last night with, with some of his shots and when he makes those unforced errors for a man of his calibre he doesn't expect to miss that so it, it challenges him more mentally 
Um, but as again, uh, and it's just time and rest getting over that. Yeah, he needs he needs a break. And I, I've spoken to him a few times. Uh, I saw him in Scotland at Andy Murray's uh, charity event. I've seen him here um, in in London, and and he says, you know, I'm tired, mm. and uh, uh, and so it's inevitable that uh, you know he'll look forward to his break and then preparing for 2018. But he certainly wants to, um, you know, go out with a win this week, and certainly with Nadal. Not in, uh, not in the fold, not in the mix. I think he's clear favourite. Now, time is a little bit against us because I mentioned that, Tim, you're working for TV and radio, it's easy. Miles just comes in, coat off, headset on and, and, and off we go as long as he can talk. But, yeah, he couldn't be dressed like that on the BBC. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but, no, but radio can't see him. But it's all, for the, Tim, budget, it's all the budget will allow Tim's to got the, yeah, he's very demanding. Um, Tim trying at times in the commentary box, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're I'm getting I'm always there. trying. <laughs> you are, always trying. Tim's got the suit on, he's got to get his makeup and everything ready. But I was wondering, you talk about nerves and facing people and fatigue. Cast your minds back to 1993's satellite tournament in Great Britain when you were both young things. Were there any nerves when you knew you were going to be Facing each other, How definitely. Was that, yeah. was, was, that can you, was that Sheffield? Can you can you rem- can you remember it, Tim? Absolutely. There's not many <laughs> matches uh, that I don't remember. And, and just remember, when you're gone, I'll still be here. To, <laughs> to yeah, but, exactly. but, but even when Tim's gone, he will have still won the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put your side of the story yeah. across. But uh, um, nerves is a good thing. Yes. Um, it's how you handle, how you manage those nerves that's the important aspect. Because if you're nervous, it shows you care. Mm-hmm. If you walk on any court or any stage to perform and you're not nervous then it probably means you don't care and that's that's not a good thing so uh, yeah certainly um, being able to uh, to get used to the those types of feelings mm-hmm. and and when we sort of elaborate a little bit more on that with pressure pressure is all self-inflicted yeah. so the mental aspect is is very very important and, and um, for me and one of the one of the things that I would encourage young up-and-coming players to do is compete and I would say it's a generalization, but I would say our young performance players mm-hmm. in this country don't compete enough. And, and that is about handling the nerves, but it's about understanding your game, what works, what doesn't work. And, uh, you know, in tennis, it's, it's important to remember you've only got to be better than one person. On that given day, you've just got to beat your opponents. So to find out how your strategy is going to work is, is very, very important. Do you still feel nerves in the commentary box? Because that's a much newer career when you compare it to your tennis career. I didn't funny face that Miles is pulling there. I don't know if Miles ever suffers any nerves, but do you, <laughs> ahead of those big matches, you're going in there and you're doing a Wimbledon fine, etc. Do you feel yeah. those nerves ahead yeah, of going it's, on it's, air? It's excitement, it's expectation and, uh, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, nervous tension. If you've got the best players in the world performing on a great stage, you don't want to screw it up for the, for the viewers <laughs> watching at home. So, and again, you, you, you want to, uh, yeah, you want to sort of give... Um, the best impression of yourself. So I, th- I always think that's a, mm. that's a good sign. I'm told hair and makeup is ready for Tim, and I'm told they will take miles and I kind of buy one, <laughs> wow. get one free. So <laughs> I mean, it's always a bit you of a see challenge. see why I'm nervous in the box here all the time <laughs> as well? <laughs> exactly. I don't think you're as nervous as the makeup artist is going to be. <laughs> but Tim, thank you so much for coming in. If you get any free moments of downtime, we don't take medical timeouts here. We don't take comfort breaks. We are on first ball to Excellent. last. And we're just down the corridor. Well, that's right. I didn't have to travel too far. No, so you didn't. The, uh, the expense bill Expenses are travel. going to be cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. But, so but hair thanks. and makeup might be quite expensive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure to have Tim Hemmond alongside myself and Miles McLaggen in our commentary box. Now, a very funny moment of the week came about courtesy of Mark Woodford, doubles legend, and he of the Todd Woodbridge Mark Woodford doubles group here. He's also been part of the ATP tennis radio commentary team. It was following a match that involved Bruno Suarez and, and Jamie Murray. The pair of Murray and Suarez 
Spurs had just won. Seb Lozier was carrying out the post-match interview when Mark Woodford decided to get involved. Bruno, I'm told Mark has a question for you. Here we go. Listening. Hey, Bruno, congratulations. Thank that was uh, some, some fantastic tennis. Two Thank quick you. ones yep. for you. Uh, the Knowing Marcelo Melo, fellow Brazilian, how much did that uh, play a part in the outcome of the match tonight for you, knowing him? As yeah, a player, I think today he played a bigger role than the the rest of the year, because it was funny because we played them uh, four times uh, this year before, and the last two times, I mean, we beat them in Cincy and we lost in Paris, and Marcelo way more than Lucas. He played completely different to my side. Every play that he did uh, in Cincy, he, he did exactly the opposite in Paris. So for me, it was a little bit of a mind game uh, coming in today. What, what was his game plan? Uh, the good thing is he had a lower first serve percentage, which was good for me to, to put pressure on him. Uh, but, but it was funny, like he never really played like this to me, like the last two matches, completely different. So I think today was, was extra mental for me to know what he was going to come with. But because he knows I know him so well, I think he's trying to, to mess around with, with my head. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was one of the best matches that I've, I, I've seen you play some high quality tennis from both ends of the court and uh, before the match. Which group are you a part of? Uh, I'm part of the Mark group. <laughs> That's it's your it. group. Okay, there's no Todd in this group until the, he shows up the, in this arena. The winners of, yeah. of the tournament. Have you already told Bruno that he has to get rid of Todd as well and it's just the Mark group? <laughs> it's the Mark group. <laughs> Great job All to right. pass on the very best to Jamie as well. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Says, Hi, yeah. Thank you. Bye. I can't believe Cheers, thank you're you. even having a go at, at Bruno making him. It's the Mark group. Wow. I thought that was just for the ATP Tennis Radio. You got Bruno Suarez to say, we're in the Mark group. That's what happens when you send me down to courtside and to, to linger. Doing? Yes. You think I was like maybe giving some advice? It was just advice of to remind them. It's my which, group. It's which my group, group are you in? Who, who's not here? Todd. It's my group. But he, he didn't even say Mark Woodby. He said it's Mark's group. I mean, this is... I, I, I can't believe that was the answer from Bruno. I love it. Let's just hope. I'd love Todd Woodbridge to be listening, but let's just hope he went to make a cup of tea or hit some balls or do something. See, he could be turning up to... You well, he will know. now. You've yeah. got Bruno Suarez saying live on, on a global radio station, I'm in Mark's group. <laughs> I mean, the poor fella is thinking, I had a hand in some of these titles that we won together. <laughs> he did. He did, without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> he, okay, Toddy's backtracking now. Backtracking. <laughs> but it is still the Mark group. But it, I love Bruno's first answer. He said, well, it was either uh, win and we come back and play some more tennis tomorrow or lose and we go to the beach. Be I, you know, that's a tough, <laughs> tough one right now, <laughs> isn't it? At this stage of the season. <laughs> This is ATP Tennis Radio. Here with me in the ATP Tennis Radio commentary boxes, the lights dim on the court outside and the people filter out. Miles McLagan and Naomi Cavaday. And I think it'd be unfair to get you to, to look back at 2017 because it's been such a such a head scratch. Maybe it's just simpler to say, Naomi, with everything we've seen, the ups and downs, the, the injuries, the resurgence, is this a fitting end to 2017? Oh, I think it is, absolutely, because we just didn't know what was going to happen throughout the whole of 2017. We kept thinking we, we, we knew what was going to happen and we just didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, how it started off, uh, you know, of course, first slam in Australian Open with the Roger and Rafa final. And then to think that they've, 
you know, essentially cleaned up and the 10th Roland Garros for Rafa and, and the emergence of Alexander Zverev and the injuries left, right and centre just knocking everybody out of the way. Um, I mean, it just you couldn't see it coming. Uh, it was just extraordinary. I mean, to have Roger finishing his year early last year and then this year, everybody doing the same thing. I mean, not through choice. I mean, they didn't have a choice. They had to finish early. But I mean... I, I don't know. I think we've all stopped guessing, especially this week. Now that we've seen, when I mean, we thought this one was for sure wrapped up, so um, yeah, no predictions for 2018. I don't think. Well, it took us about two and a half hours, Miles, to try and figure out who was going to win this. So, as I say, very unfair to try and get you to sort of get your head around 2017. It has been a great year. I mean, Naomi summed it up, but uh, you know, there were a lot of one-sided finals, to be honest, in, in, in some of the Masters. But so this is great that we finished in Paris and London with with a couple of great finals. And yes, absolutely. This this time last year, I was predicting the dominance of Murray for the next couple of years. I mean, he'd won five tournaments in a row. He'd become world number one, and we were wondering how anybody was going to beat him he was rolling through matches he was in incredible shape he, he was he was out uh, you know he was exhausted here we didn't think he'd you know how he'd perform in the final and he got through comfortably against Djokovic as you said Federer and, and Nadal nowhere in sight and it's turned on its head and we've seen the emergence of, of Zverev and of and of Dimitrov winning Master Series some you know there's few players that had a lock on those tournaments for a long time. And uh, I think it's, you know, the more players that we can have fighting for those titles and uh, the, the, the less, uh, you know, the less sure, sure things, the better. Now, our predictions, well, largely my predictions have been rubbish. But Peter McArthur, <laughs> a member of the ATP Tennis Radio team, wants us to do a time capsule. And there's a, there's a few questions, who's going to win what and headlines, etc., etc. And I think at some point, when you've had a little bit of an off-season, we get in touch with the team, we put those questions out there, we gather together your answers. And it's not more ca so many questions it's a trunk it's a it's a time trunk we're going to gather together everything we're going to put them in and when we're back together hopefully all together this time next year we'll see if anyone got anything right on my part i have i have no faith that i will get anything right so we're going to make sure we do that miles clagan near McCavity. it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you very it's much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Being part of the ATP Tennis Radio team. Thank you. And it's a very strange sight outside the commentary box window because the main lights are on. What are the main lights? The main house lights are on. It looks completely different. They've already taken away the clocks. The confetti's still there. The side hoardings have gone. There's no spectators left. Gregor Dimitrov has finally finished signing autographs. There's a presenter trying to do a link while people are literally dismantling the stadium around him. This is what happens at the end of tournaments. You've got to be quick or the seat will disappear from beneath you. It's been an absolute pleasure. We launched this year ATB Tennis Radio in Monte Carlo through into 2018. We'll be continuing every day of every Masters event, the finals of the 500s, and keep an eye out for us around the Grand Slams. And don't forget the podcast. The podcast you're listening to, they will continue every single week. And there's always something to get stuck into on the channel, which is ATP Tennis Radio. So spread the word. Thank you so much for your company. A massive thank Thank you to everyone part of the commentary team and behind the scenes it's been a pleasure and we look forward to more of the same through into 2018.